ever had a stressful day at work? I know Robert does. I always ask Robert how work going, and, and I always have. Inter Robert has interesting stories, so I want to show you here a little bit. Actually, let me pull this down a little bit. Oh, I think we're okay. Anyway, take a look at this and see if uh, you, you can relate to some stress at work. All right, that was just funny. I'm telling you, the cu cubicle thing where the guy pops up. Are you okay? Okay, no, sit down. And that just totally blows the idea that there's safety in numbers. Because, I mean, like, nobody helps. Nobody, I mean, they're just like, okay, I'm getting beat to death with a keyboard and nobody cares. So, anyway, there is work stress, and I'm sure you can relate to some of that. And so, uh, seriously, though, I am very excited and committed because I do feel a, a, a significant responsibility to help you connect uh, Sundays to your Mondays. Now, work is where we spend much of our lives, more than what we probably, uh, we're, we're aware of that, but more than what we probably want to admit. If you just work 40 hours a week uh, for 40 years, that's 80,000 hours. And then when you add the years you spent preparing for work, and then the travel back and forth, the commuting from work, is a significant amount of time. And you look there on the chart, time use on an average work day for employed persons ages 25 to 54 with children, and approximately working-related activities about nine hours. And then when you add sleep, uh, there's eight, I mean, that's like 17 hours. You just look at it. That's my life, you know, and, and it's basically work, sleep, and then you try to manage everything else uh, in that little amount of time. Uh, and so it's pretty amazing. 35 to 40 percent of our lives is spent at work. And yet, if we're not careful, there can be a huge disconnect between what you are learning and what you believe and who you are as a Christian today on Sunday and how that connects on Monday. Now, the fact of the matter is this: work can be some of the most it can be the most fulfilling place on earth. It can be the most frustrating place on earth. And to be honest with you, it's a little bit of both, right? Frustrating and fulfilling. Work can be so fulfilling that we begin to make it a god, and we can sacrifice everything to be successful at our jobs and invest everything to be significant because of our jobs. But on the other hand, work can be so frustrating that it becomes a four-letter word, that we can spend most of our lives at a place. It's frustrating to think that we can spend most of our play, lives at a place that we can't stand with people that, as you can see, are often very hard to get along with, right? Now, that's not my you know, circumstances in my job, but that might be yours. But work can also be one of the hardest places to follow Jesus. And that's just the reality. And that's and yet, when you think about it, if 35 to 40% of your time is at work, where do you think you're going to be doing the majority of your witnessing? Right? Where is it going to be? Where is the workplace is the place of witness? And so we want to, I want to help you with that. And one of the ways I want to help you with that is for you to, if you would... Uh, the, the write down what questions or struggles you have about work. So that's this is over there at the table. I think I even sent it out. And just jot one thing down. If you just write down one thing, and it's not like I'm going to read this, and first of all, I don't even know who it's from necessarily if you don't sign, but it's not like I'm going to read this or something or have a whole lesson on your question, but it just gives 
uh, it's, it, it enables me to better understand what you're struggling with, what you're stressing out with, and, uh, and several of you have responded, and I appreciate that. So if you want to make this more relevant to where you are, then fill this out. And it can be something you struggled with in the past, but you've overcome. But, you know, hey, I, I, I have struggled with this, and I have questions about this. So fill that out, and it will not only help me, it may not only help you, but it may help someone else in our class. Uh, it kind of comes down to this. I think I have this quote in your notes. This job that takes up so many hours of my life and so much of my mental space that frustrates me to no end sometimes and gives me great joy at other times, what does it all finally mean? I want to help you answer that question. We're going to learn uh, what it looks like when God is at work in our work. And my prayer is that you're going to learn that working for King Jesus changes everything. Uh, so for the next seven weeks up to Easter, we're going to be looking at how the gospel impacts the way we look at work and how we actually work at our jobs. And rather than doing, you know, there's key passages, and we're going to look at them at the end of today, in Ephesians and Colossians, rather than uh, doing more an exposition of specific passages, I kind of want to take a, a biblical theology, kind of give you a biblical theology of work in, the, in this series. Uh, one author put it this way, for us to view work outside of a theological framework is to inevitably devalue both work and the worker. If we don't look at work from God's perspective, if we don't get into God's word and not just say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's nice. And then go Monday and just think about our work the way the world does. We're going to devalue what we do and we're going to devalue who we are on the job. And so I hope that this is going to connect for you and provide you a biblical theology. So here's what we're going to do this morning. This morning, we're going to get back to Genesis and we're going to see how our job fits with God's story. We're going to see how the gospel should shape our view of work. So turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis. This is kind of an overview of kind of how we're going to look at everything in this series. And so we're going to just look at the big picture today and then break it down in the weeks to come. And I think you're going to benefit from it. My job and God's story. How does the gospel, how the gospel shapes our view of work? And so we're in Genesis chapter 1 and, and 3, and I'll tell you this, studying Genesis 1 through 3, and every time I do this, I'm re I forget it, and then when I get studying Genesis 1, 1 through 3, I'm always reminded of it. It's like uh, pulling a, oh, it's like remodeling your house. You remodel one section, and then you kind of look over there, oh, I got to look at, you know, remodel that section, and, and now I got to look at it. You look at Genesis 1 through 3, it's so intertwined, and it's so interconnected, and the truths are so profound, they touch so many areas. You got to contain yourself. So I'm just trying to give you a good, basic outline of the gospel as it relates to work. And here's the first point I want you to get this morning. God created work to be good. Let's read that out loud together. God created work to be good. Let's try it again so we do it together. God created work to be good. And let me sum up this point in this way. In the beginning, God worked, we worked, and it was all good. In the beginning, God worked, we worked, and it's all good. That's where we're going to get in this first point. Now, look at Genesis 1.1. Here's how God's story begins. In the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. In other words, we see in verse 1 of the 60 books, 66 books of the Bible, we see God at work. That's what that is. You could just as easily say, in the beginning, God worked at creating the heavens and the earth. And, 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 he, and as you go through Genesis <clears throat> chapter 1, and we're not going to study that in depth. I'm not going to summarize it in one sentence. He worked for six days, and then he rested. He worked for six days, and then he rested. And here's the great summary. So look at uh, Genesis 1.31. Genesis 1.31. And you see in your Bibles that chapter 2 begins right there. And that's this is a great example of how uh, God did not inspire chapter divisions. This is one of the most lousy chapter divisions in the Bible. I didn't say God's word's lousy. I said man's dividing of God's word into chapters. It really, chapter 1 should go down to, chap, uh, to verse 3 of chapter 2, okay? So as we read Genesis 1.31 through uh, chapter 2, verse 3, we kind of get a summary of all of chapter 1 and all of God's work. So let's look at it. Look at it there in your Bibles. If you have someone uh, you need to borrow or look on together, let's read it together and look at it together. God saw that all he made, God saw all that he made, and behold, it was what? Very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts, everything that were in them. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which he had created and made. Now, that's kind of the summary of God at work. In Genesis 1. So I want to begin. Let's first look at the words that Moses used to describe God's work of creation. Man, this is rich. I can't delve all into it. But man, this is just good stuff. What? There's a lot of words for work there. Did you notice that in your Bibles? What do those words mean? Well, let's look at it. Uh, God's words used to describe God at work. The words used to describe God at work. First of all, God did successful work. The word... For work there, one of the words, one of the, there's three basic words used in these verses. And the first word uh, speaks of successful or productive work. And I, I have have you, um, I have them laid out there, which he had done, all that he made, and he made. Those are all the same Hebrew word, done, made, made. Same Hebrew word. And you know what it means in the Hebrew? Are you ready with this? You got, Wes, you got your pencil ready? You ready? This is profound, okay? In the Hebrew, work means work. It just means work. That's all it is. It's just, it's, it's, it's producing, it's working, it's translated, uh, it, it can mean make, do, prepare, perform, execute, complete. The noun means a work, a deed, a product. It's just the general word for successful and productive work. God works just like you and I work. It's work and it produces things. Number two, the second word uh, refers to skillful work. It refers to skillful work. God's work, God, God at work was not only successful, but it was skillful. Now, this word's really interesting. It's the word that uh, in the New American Standards tr translated work, all his work, all his work. Uh, 
this word is not only work, but it's skilled work. It refers to being a craftsman, an art artisan, someone that, that really is, is very skillful and very good at what they do. And it's interesting. It's the opposite of the kind of work we're going to see in point two, work that is cursed. This word refers to work that is not painful. It's not difficult. It's not, uh, it's not wearisome. It's not bitter. It's not miserable. It's not like, well, it's not like our work today. Okay? And so God's at work in the beginning, and it's successful, it's productive, it's satisfying, and it's skillful. And as you trace this word out in the Old Testament, it's interesting. This idea of skillful work applies to like the skillful craftsman that created the temple, but it also refers to menial, menial things. In fact, as I was studying this out this week, one uh, Bible student said this, there is no term for unskilled labor in the, in, the, in the Bible. In other words, this term is used for the lowest of jobs and the most important of jobs. I just thought that was pretty significant, pretty profound. In other words, when God looks at your work, and we have a whole room full of different jobs here, right? In the, in the world's eyes, some of your jobs are really significant and some of them are really insignificant in the world's eyes and possibly even in some of your eyes, your own work, or maybe as you look at the work of others. Because let's face it, in our culture, we say, hi, who are you? And then the, what's the second question? What do you do? That's, and, and, and immediately we either, and, and, and I would challenge you, what do you think of when you say what you do? Do you think with shame? Do you think with pride? And then when you hear what others say, do you like devalue or value or exalt or, you know, how do you do that? All I'm trying to say is this word for work here, this skilled, uh, the skilled and satisfying work that God is doing in creation refers to even the most menial things in the Bible. And I think that just adds terrific value. But there's a third word here. And if it, it, you see it in chapter uh, 2, verse 3, and it's the word created. And that's God's work in the beginning was a supernatural work. It was a supernatural work. Um, the word for create here means to create out of nothing. It's the special word for creation. In fact, this, wor this word for work, which we in our Bibles are in English is translated creation, the only person that this ever refers to doing this kind of work is God. So these other words that we've looked at, human, you know, you and I, human people in the Bible can work successfully. They can work skillfully. But when it comes to this word create, that's something that only God, that's a work that only God can do. Now, why is that important? Well, it just reminds us that there's aspects to God's work that we cannot do. But the point is that this mighty God who creates out of nothing everything that you see and everything that you are also does the kind of work that you do on a daily basis. That's huge. That is huge. So God is great, but also God is 
humble, you know, or as we said in our study of Job, God is, is, is so large that he's way up there being able to do things that we cannot do, but he's so small, he's so humble, he does the work that you and I do, that is skillful and is successful. And what's interesting is God didn't just create out of nothing, but he did it creatively. He did it uh, poetically. He did it uh, skillfully. He did it. He shaped. He formed. When you look at Genesis 1-1, you know, we could have been just left with that. In beginning, God created the heavens worth and the earth, and you would have left with the impression that he just snapped his fingers and boom, it was all there. But when you read Genesis 1, God could have done it that way, and he spoke it. I mean, he just said it, and it was there. But he did it in this orderly, beautiful, creative, poetical way. In fact, the Greek word for creation, this Greek word for creation is poema. Poema. What English word do you hear in that? Poem. It's just, you just need to be reminded that when God is at work, it is beautiful, it is creative, and, 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 and we're reminded of it this week. Uh, I know uh, Bill and, and uh, Rick uh, drive the bus, so they're up uh, early when, when, when I'm just in the shower and not awake and it's dreary. and dreary. They get to be out and see these beautiful sunsets. Now, Rick, you let me down this week because you just te- usually he, t- he text, tells me about it and then texts a picture. This time, he just told me it was beautiful and didn't text me a picture. And it was so beautiful that it even started coming up on the Facebook feeds of like Channel 9 and everything. Gwen saw it, and, and, and it was just gorgeous. And that is God at work. Okay, that's how God works. It's beautiful. It's glorious. And it helps, it helps your job. Someone asked him, was his bus nice and warm when he got into it in the morning? And so that was kind of funny, too. Now... God's story begins with God working and God enjoying his work too. So the second thing I want you to see about God at work is there's, I want you to look at the ways God enjoyed working. So he didn't just do this successfully, skillfully, and supernaturally, but he actually enjoyed what he was doing. Now there's a novel thought, enjoying your work, okay? So let's look at this. Uh, and, and just real quickly, in Genesis 1.31, here's how God does what it says. Just so beautiful. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. I love this. You ever made something? I mean, it's kind of like when I put my Christmas lights up each year, the best part of it is when it's done, and I walk across the street, and I just look at it. Now, of course, me, I'm also looking that if everything's, you know, lined up. But I'm just looking at it, and it's just like, wow, that's just cool. That's just great. A job well done. And that's what God did. He created this universe and then he just steps back and he goes, man, I'm just enjoying this. I really did good. He's talking to the sun and the spirit and they're saying, yeah, this was great. And they're interacting. He's, he's in admiring his own handiwork. The results of his work were the joy of his heart. God's work brought him joy and fulfilled his intended purpose for which it was. Look at verse uh, Genesis 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had completed his work, which he had done, and he rested. He rested the seventh day. Nothing better than a job well done. And no matter how hard it was, and no matter how tiring it was, when it's done and it's done well, it, there's a good feeling of tiredness. 
I mean, I, I remember uh, doing ministry uh, when I was in seminary, and we'd have a full weekend of running around with these Korean-American kids and ministering with them, and we'd be exhausted, me and my friend, and we'd pull into our apartment, and we'd still have a night of, 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 of study going on, but you pulled in there, and you turned the key off, and you were just like, wow, that was just really fulfilling this week. That was just really, really good. That's how God did. You, you rest after that. And then look at verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which he had done. So there's blessing, there's rest, and there's joy. The, this isn't God doing anything. This is God enjoying what he has done. All right? So there's hope for us as well. Now, God created work for people to do as well. So the second thing I want you to see about God creating work is we not only see God at work in Genesis, but we see people at work. We see people at work after being made in God's image. This just makes sense. If God's at work and we're made in God's image, what are we created to do? We're created to work as well. So let's take a look at it. Look at Genesis 2. Look at look Genesis 2 and continue reading verses 5, uh, 5 through 9. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Creation was created by God for man and woman to work it. So creation was created to be worked and we were created for the work of doing that but a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground then the lord god formed man of the dust from the ground really interesting the very ground that we're going to work is where we came from and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being then the lord god planted a garden toward the east in eden not really, the garden isn't called Eden, the garden is in Eden. And there, and this is very, there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord caused every uh, tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Once man was there to work it, then God released it and blessed it and grew it. Now, the first thing, well, let's jump down to verses 15 through 18 then. Because he talks a little bit about these four rivers that it's going to water and, and fertilize and make everything grow. But look at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him. So once again, God is specifically putting humanity, the first man, Adam, into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. That's work. That's work. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So let me give you a couple points here. The first one is this. God gave humanity the work of cultivating and caring for the king's garden paradise. God gave humanity the work of cultivating and caring for the king's garden paradise in Eden. Now, this is very interesting. The word, as you 
study this idea of a garden. You're like, why is there a garden? So there's a garden that is a part of the greater world, right? And he puts man not just anywhere in the world. He puts man and woman eventually in the garden. What's interesting is you trace out this idea, and I, I can't give you all the background on it, but the idea is this. It, we end up getting the word paradise. We often, you've heard of the garden called paradise. This word is used for the garden of a king, the king's garden, the king's special place that he would go and enjoy. and say, In other words, the nearest illustration, it would be like the rose garden of the White House, right? So, like, if you said, hey, uh, you know, I went down here to Loose Park and had some pictures taken. Everybody would say, oh, that's nice. That's cool. That's a great park. But if you said, hey, I, uh, we took uh, Amber to have her graduation pictures done at the Rose Garden, you'd, be, you'd say, you got to be kidding. And the second I said the Rose Garden, what would be the next question? Well, how would you? Okay. Got in because I was invited. The question would be, did you see the president, right? Because whose garden is that? It's the president. I mean, yeah, if you're getting in, how'd you get in? The way you're going to get in, the basically the only way is if who asked you to get in? The president. This is the king's garden. This is where the king hangs out. And he puts him in there to take care of that place where God's presence dwells on this planet. That's just an amazing thing. And so a couple things I want you to look at. First of all, God put Adam in his garden paradise as a place of peace, protection, and pleasure in his presence. This word in verse uh, 50, uh, uh, in verse, uh, <coughs> oh, where am I at? In verse uh, 15, then the Lord took the man and put him. In verse 15, put him. It's the idea that it's in a place of protection. It's in a place of peace, tranquility, and it's a place where Adam and Eve are going to enjoy the pleasure of just being human and being with God. Now, the second thing I want you to see is this. God put Adam in his garden paradise for a purpose. So it's not just to hang out and be peaceful and enjoy it. He put him in there for a purpose, and that's verse 15, to cultivate it and to keep it. So here's how I summarize that. The purpose for us being in here is to, one, cultivate, this garden. Things are growing. They're thriving. And someone needs to cultivate it. In some of your Bibles, the word is tend. It's nurturing. It's, it's what you do with plants. You've got to cut things back. You've got to take care of them. The second word is care. We're to care for or keep. Now, what's interesting about these words is later, these same words are going to refer to worship, of priests, the worship of the temple, and they're going to refer to obedience to God. Now, what's the point of that? The point is simply this. When we do what God tells us to do, we're worshiping. And whether that's cultivating and caring for plants, whether that's being an engineer, whether that's being a plumber, if you're doing what God has set out and laid out for you to do, and you're doing it obediently, you... It's worship. It becomes worship. This is a place of worship. But they're not just kneeling and reading and doing spiritual things. They're cultivating. They're caring. Now, when we go to Genesis 1, we see that they also are controlling 
They're controlling or taming creation. Look in Genesis 1, 26 and 28. Look at that. Look at Genesis 1, uh, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them, what's the word there? Let them what? Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all the earth and every creeping thing. Rule over. They're to tame it. They're to control it. You know, sometimes we think that in the beginning everything was just peaceful and, you know, there was... No, things are wild and growing. Not due to sin, but just due to life, right? You know, you get a, bring a puppy home, you gotta, you gotta tame them, you gotta control them. And then ultimately what they're doing is conquering all of creation. They're conquering all of creation. Notice what it says. God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. That's verse 27. Look at verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it. Conquer it. So, man's not only placed here, a place of peace, pleasure, uh, protection in God's presence, but he's there for a purpose. It's active. There's work to be done. Cultivating, caring, controlling, conquering, that's supposed to spread out to creation. Now, I wish we could, we could do, you know, sometime we need to, a whole lesson on environmentalism. Because right now, we're getting this thing all backwards. Like we are to serve creation rather than creation is to serve us. That somehow we're supposed to sit back and let creation just be wild and, 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 and natural and we're just stuck in this little space. No, we're to fill the earth and we are to responsibly care for it, cultivate it, control it. That doesn't mean exploit. That doesn't mean pollute, but it does mean to conquer it. It's there to serve us. And we are there to work it. Now, the third thing I want you to see is, and I just put say this, God put Adam in the garden of paradise for a purpose with a partner. Now, this is where you can start going crazy in Genesis and studying everything, and I can't do that. But I do want you to see this, that man, humanity is not meant to uh, work alone. That we need to work together to accomplish God's purposes. And it, it's interesting that, uh, as God creates woman, he calls her, her a helper. A helper in what? In the work. A helper in the work. And so they're working together. And, uh, and there's much more we could say there. Now, the second thing I want you to see about the work God gave us is that God, the work God gave us, gave humanity, was good. It was good. So you want to write that down. The work God gave humanity was good as long as God was the center of it all. Because at the center of all this, there was a tree. And it was the tree... I don't know. I'm not doing good on drawing today. I don't know what it was. There's a tree at the center. All I want you to know is at the center. I don't know what I'm doing today on that. Uh, there's a tree at the center. And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they are not to, not to eat of that tree. And what that tree represents, we're not even told what's on the tree. It wasn't apples. We don't know what, what fruit. We don't know on that tree. All we know is that it was at the center of the garden. Because here's the point. When God, and, he, and God only gave one command. Just don't eat of this tree. And as long as they obeyed that command, who was at the center of their lives? God. See, they were to work and enjoy 
and do all this with God at the center. And as long as God was at the center of that, everything was what? It was not just good, it was it was very good. It was very good. And let me tell you a couple things about it. Number one, work, as long as God's at the center of work, it is delightful and satisfying. It was delightful and satisfying. They walked with God. They worked with God in the cool of the evening. I mean, they didn't come home and, and you know, Adam didn't come home, beat his wife and kick his dog. He just came home and it was delightful. And they worked hard, but it was delightful and satisfying. Number two, it was meaningful and significant. It was meaningful and significant. There was an abundance. They would work and there was an abundance of things to cultivate, to care for, to control. It wasn't frustrating. They were working for the king, with the king, in the king's garden. Wow, it was meaningful. That's significant, okay? Thirdly, it was purposeful and strategic. It was purposeful and strategic. They were to relate with God. They were to represent God. They were to rule under God. I mean, you just couldn't get anything. Now, look at those three words. Wouldn't you love your work to be filled with those things? That's in your heart. That's We were made for that kind of work. That's what we long for. And let me tell you, your coworkers long for that. Because they were created in the image of God. Now they may, God's not the center of many of their lives. They may be in rebellion to God. But let me tell you, it is in our deepest being. We want work that is delightful meaningful and purposeful we want to have this kind of work but work was good only as god as long as god was at the center of it look again at verses 15 and 7 uh, 15 through 17 of chapter 2 and i just want to tell you three things about these three verses then the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to cultivate it and work it that's our purpose in work we are to work for god verse 15 Look at verse 16. Then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat. That's the liberty of enjoying the fruit of our work. We're free. They were free to enjoy the fruit of their work. Enjoy it all. So work was, was, it was work, but it was also pleasurable, enjoyable. But then look at verse 17, the priority in our work. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. The priority of work and the priority of life was that God would be at the center of our lives and of our work. So there was, there was great meaning, great purpose. Now, then you know that's all great until you get to chapter 3. Then it all goes wrong. And what happens? Number two, God cursed the environment and effectiveness of work. God cursed the environment and the effectiveness of work because of Adam's sin. Now, when I first wrote this lesson, I had God created work and God cursed work. And then the more I studied it, I'm like, God didn't curse work. He cursed the work environment and the effectiveness or the fruitfulness of their work. Are you with me? This is very interesting. Now, when you look at Genesis 3, so look in your Bibles, look at Genesis 3 in verses 1 through 7. It tells the story of how Satan used the serpent to reverse the order of creation, tempt Adam and Eve to put themselves at the center. So it's all about the adversary telling them, hey, put yourself at the center instead of God. 
Okay? And he's successful with Eve and he's successful at it with Adam. So then you come to verses 8 through 24. And here's what happens. 8 through 24 tells the story of how God came to the garden to seek out Adam and Eve in their sin, to curse them for their sin, but to also redeem them with a promise. So God comes and look, God's word isn't to be messed with. God isn't. Who's the king? God's the king. Whose work are they to do? God's work. And they're to do it by obeying him. And when we disobey and we don't put God at the center, there's consequences. And so God comes down, he seeks them out, and he curses them. He judges them for their sin, but he does it with a promise of salvation. And so that's all there. But we're here to look at work. So here's what I want you to look at. Look at verses 17 through 19. Not only part of the curse is on the work environment and the work and the effectiveness of work. This is, this is why people beat each other with keyboards. Okay, are you ready? This is why there's keyboard beatings. Okay, this is why guys get sprayed with, uh, what do you call it, fire extinguishers. Okay, so everything you say there, and listen, everything that you're frustrated with at work is all rooted in what we're about to read. Are you with me? So let's look at it. 3, 17, and 19. Notice what it says. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, that's the environment, not work itself, the environment. The work environment now is cursed. And in toil, you will eat of it. Now, it's not only, it's not, it's not, it's no longer enjoyable, it's painful, it's difficult, it's hard. All the days of your life, it ain't ever going to get better. Never going to. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Wow. Okay, let me give you three things, and I'm just going to let you fill in the blanks, and then we're going to tackle it next week. But here's what happens because of the curse. Here's what happens. There's a lot of things going on because of the curse. I'm just talking about work. See if you can relate. Number one, work becomes painfully difficult. Work becomes painfully difficult. That's what the word toil means. Used to be joyful, used to be satisfying, now it's painful and even agonizing at times. Can you relate? Okay. Number two, work becomes profoundly disappointing. It becomes profoundly disappointing. You put all this effort in, and you don't get the promotion. You put all this strategic thinking in, and they trash your project. You give your life to a job, and you're loyal, and you're faithful, and you expect to finish well, and instead, they cut you. They release you, and they take away your pension. It can be profoundly disappointing. And the third thing that we're going to look at with the curse is work becomes perversely distorted. The view of work becomes perversely distorted. And I promise you, you're going to connect with this because there's a lot of wrong thinking about work. And therefore, there's a lot of wrong living 
in the workplace. Are you with? And here's the sad truth. A lot of this distorted thinking is even within the church. It's even among us as Christians. And so come back next week. We're going to take a look at the curse. We're going to see how this relates to our jobs. And you're going to see that uh, there's hope. There's hope in the gospel. All right? Are you ready? This kind of gives you a big picture, kind of gets you where we're going. And we're really going to delve into it in a way that I think is going to relate and connect with you. Let's pray. Father, wow, what hope. I mean, we just, we just spanned the universe. We just, we just covered all of life. And you're the king. And you were at work. And part of your work is you made us. We're, we're your poetry. We're, we're a part of what you stood back and said, wow. That's good. That's real good. I really did a great work. They are a real work of art. And Father, we have a place in all this. And a lot of times we're confused. We have an economy. We have uh, some people that are out of work in our church. We have people that are looking for work. And we always have uh, a part of us that can be discontent. Some of us have been painfully hurt at work. And some of us are disappointed and we have questions. And Lord, there's answers here. There's answers for why work is the way it is. And I pray that we will, you will prepare our hearts. And I pray that we would humble ourselves to learn from you. And not just say, oh, yeah, 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 I know all that. Well, we may know it, but we may not take it with us into the workplace on Monday. And I, I pray that you would help us. Help us to see that there's hope in the gospel, that you are at work in our work. Prepare our hearts for the week ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.